Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to Where to Go, your personal guide to the world's best travel destinations. If you haven't listened before, I'm James Atkinson, online brand manager at DKI Witness. And I'm Lucy Richards, senior editor at DKI Witness. And today we're visiting a city that really needs no introduction. We're crossing the channel and heading to Paris. Yes, so normally Paris is a treasure trove of things to see and do, packed full of world-famous palaces, museums and galleries. Um, And the city really shines through with opulence and elegance. Beyond the sights, the real Paris is a true city of creativity. Think tiny winding streets, quirky bookshops, curious cafes and vibrant art scenes. Not to mention the scale of what's on offer for foodies. For context, we're recording this in November 2020. And only last weekend, Paris and the whole of France entered a second stage of lockdown due to the ongoing COVID-19 crisis. Under the new regulations, residents will be forced to remain at home unless they can provide documented proof to justify being outside, with social gatherings also banned. So to discuss these latest developments, as well as the city itself, we're delighted to be joined by adoptive Parisian writer Eleanor Aldridge, author of Paris, A Curious Traveller's Guide. Welcome, Eleanor. Thank you very much for having me on the podcast. Thank you for joining Aww, us. It's very exciting. Um, so just to explain the format, today we're going to explore the past, present and future of Paris, looking at Eleanor's relationship with the city before the events of 2020, how the city has coped during this year and what the future holds. So we're now looking at Paris pre-COVID. Um, so uh, just before we uh, kind of get started, um, I just wanted to check, obviously, you've worked with, with Lucy and you used to formerly work, formerly work at DK and Lucy knows you as Ellie. Uh, yes. Do you prefer Ellie or Eleanor? Ellie is perfect. I tend to, as a writer, I keep Eleanor for my bylines, but I am always Ellie in person. And Great. as we can't be in person right now because of COVID, <laughs> this counts as in person as far as I'm concerned. lovely (laughs) fantastic and and kind of continuing on that so um obviously you formerly worked at dk uh, uh, alongside lucy and um but when did you first make that move to paris was it was it planned at all 
I did indeed. Um, I had nearly six years that I worked. Uh, I worked at the DK offices, which I loved. Um, and I actually first came to Paris. I took a sabbatical um, after being in the company for about five years. And that was three years ago now. And Gosh. I came over to to really live the um, to live the Parisian dream. So I found this little apartment in the eleventh with like the shutters at the windows and the parquet floors. And I came over to to write for kind of four months and mm-hmm. just to kind of live the live the life here. And very quickly, it was clear that I was definitely going to come back. And I'd found <laughs> the place that I felt at home. So Ellie, what then makes Paris so unique? What was it that kind of, you know, kept you there? I find this the hardest question to answer because <laughs> it's um, it's difficult not to um, not to kind of get sucked into the obvious points about Paris. Um, mm. And, mm. you know, the kind of cliches that I joke about, they, they are definitely true. So it is one of the most beautiful cities in the world, mm. um, especially for someone like me. I love food and I love wine and the, yeah. the food culture is so rich here. Um, but I think what what really makes it unique is that there's such a there's such a great um just sort of daily life like we all live in these tiny Mm. apartments so I'm speaking to you from my 31 square meters this morning um which I'm (laughs) delighted to have and uh the the kind of upside of that is it means that everyone really goes out so the cafe culture is is incredible Mm. there's so much um so much kind of life is lived like with your neighbors in the street Mm. in cafes in restaurants um and people just sort of take the time to to enjoy the little things. So you stop and you have your coffee and, and you just take a little bit of time to go about your day. And that for me, it's the kind of lived experience of being here as well as what the city looks like and the monuments and the museums. Well, I have to say that, that uh, Ellie, your Instagram feed is amazing. I think I live vicariously <laughs> through the, rest, the wonderful restaurants you go to and the amazing pictures you post. It does look just wonderful. It looks like everything you'd hope Paris would be. And, and, and like, how often do you actually eat out? Obviously, pre-COVID. <laughs> um, that's a really good question. Um, I don't want to say every day, but but probably at least really? every other day. So, that, so that's the dream. That's, is uh... that is that more than you were eating out when you lived in London? Do you think? Definitely, definitely. Okay, so it's a real mm. thing. Like the foodie scene is a genuine thing. In it Paris. is completely. And for anyone that works, um, obviously it's a little bit different at the moment. But for anyone that works in a full time job here, you or for the most part you get what's called ticket resto. So like restaurant tickets are part mm-hmm. of most people's employment packages. So most what? people who work in an office will have 10 euros a day that's part subsidized by no. their company to help them go out and eat for lunch. So that really helps to to maintain this great culture where people do actually stop and get lunch or even if they get it to take out, they'll go to an independent and get like a great Boban from a Vietnamese place and... Oh yeah. my, James, we're living in the wrong city. I mean, should we just go open the <laughs> yeah, DK Paris, Paris office? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds amazing. That's I've so never, cool. Yeah, I've I didn't never, know I've that. I've never heard of a city doing that as no, well. No, uh, no. Uh, yeah, so why wouldn't you eat out every day? Absolutely, but, uh, yeah. Um, but also kind of great for, you know, supporting local businesses as well. And I guess all of that money kind of goes back into Parisian culture and kind of helps create and foster that kind of foodie identity. Um, so kind of pretending we don't know 
anything at all about Paris. Like maybe we've watched Emily in Paris and therefore we don't know anything about Paris. <laughs> um, uh, um, I haven't watched Emily in Paris, by the way, just to, sure, as a disclaimer. Sure, Whatever you say. <laughs> I really haven't. I've watched the trailer and that's enough. Um, uh, but how would, how would you introduce it? Um, it is not the city that is portrayed in Emily in Paris. Um, <laughs> it, uh, I think I think there's this this kind of image that's portrayed through so much photography of the city that's really misleading. And it's the Eiffel Tower. It's all of like the Grand Hasmanian boulevards. It's you know women running around in stilettos and. That's not very, it's not really an accurate depiction of Paris. Um, first of all, in terms of just like the architecture of the city and the layout, one of the things that I love about it so much is you've got all of the different areas that you can still see. So you go to the Marais and you've still got these like medieval buildings alongside all of the kind of much later, like the Hausmanian style and and the boulevards that, that we're more familiar with. You've also got parts of the city mm. that are much more modern um, it's really much more varied than I think people expect. Mm. But mm. when it comes to what rings true about people's expectations, there really are mm. that many restaurants, there really are that many galleries, there really are that many cafes. There is so much sure. choice. And there's an aspect of, of French culture that's still very traditional as well. And I think that's one of the things that people love when they come to visit. They love that, you know, you sit down for lunch between 12 and 2. You have dinner mm. somewhere around 8.30. There's certain ways, like, nice. you know, you order certain drinks for your for your apéro, for your aperitif, you know. Everything yeah. everything is kind of done in this very, um, there's great pride in the way things are done. Yes. So, so, so it's I, almost like unwritten rules in definitely. a way, I guess. And a real French etiquette, I guess, yes, as well. Yes, for sure. Um, so speaking of those kind of unwritten rules, are there any kind of like cultural faux pas that uh, many people sort of fall into uh, uh, on their first visit? Um, I think there's lots of cultural faux pas that I'm sure I have fallen into <laughs> over the years that I've been here. Um, the biggest one for visitors is, I think, particularly coming from a kind of British background and, and coming from London, where we do our very, very best to ignore each other at all times. Um, here, yes. <laughs> Lucy knows what I'm talking about. Yes. Um, so when it comes to being in Paris, if you go into a shop or you go into a restaurant, you always say bonjour. And then if you leave, you always say bonjourne. So you always say have a good day. And if you don't do that, mm. it's, it really gets things off on the wrong foot. And people oh. will notice and they will pick you up on it or they'll be particularly kind of a bit grouchy until you've made the effort to say bonjour and then once you've once you've said that you're kind of in and you can start your discussion or your order or whatever it is that you want to do I had no idea no that's, that's uh, a top tip for listeners yeah. I mean, I haven't been to Paris in a while, but I feel like I've been rude every time I've been there. <laughs> so, automatically. So, um, yeah, and, uh, and, and kind of what may surprise people on their first visit? What would they kind of, um, I guess, maybe not expect? I think there's so much in Paris that's changing right now in a really good way. So I think the the parts of Paris that people wouldn't expect and maybe the way in which it's um in which it's changing. So I think a lot of people don't know that there's a huge startup culture here. So Station F, mm. which is down in the 13th, is Europe's largest startup incubator. 
also now got Europe's largest okay. restaurant in in the building that's run by Big Mama. Oh, cool. Um, so there's this real uh, sort of I don't know what to call it. There's there's jokes made about uh, the silicon the silicon ninth, which is a part of Paris <laughs> and the ninth arrondissement, and how that's kind of changing. So I think that alongside the tradition and the art and the culture and the food, there's also this um, really forward forward looking side to Paris that surprises people when they come across it. I don't know if it's something that a lot of people would see on their first visit, but... I haven't heard about that at all. Like, I think you, you kind of have an idea, at least from from the UK, of, like, kind of Berlin, cool, sort of, like, a, yeah. you, you know, sort of Silicon Valley of Europe kind of aspects. But I've never heard of that in Paris, and I had no idea. No. So then, Ellie, is that kind of your favourite part of Paris, or where is your favourite part of Paris? Do you love Do you love the traditional sides, or do you love those kinds of more sort of creative hubs? Oh, that's a difficult question. Um, <laughs> I have to say the parts of Paris that I love the most are the parts that I live in now and I have lived in. So going out of the centre a little bit towards the, the 19th and the 20th arrondissements. So it's much more mm-hmm. of a local part of town. They're areas that really reflect how multicultural the city is. And I think when you when you talk about what yeah. do people expect, there's a perhaps... If I dare say, there's quite a, a whitewashed image of Paris and of what constitutes mm, sure. um, Parisian communities. So for me, getting out into the arrondissements that are a bit out of the centre, you actually see real Parisian life. So in the in the quartier where I am now, outside my window, I'm opposite a little road of real houses that still has like a cobbled street and street lamps. And yeah. up against that, you've got a lot of um, post-war high-rises that were built up. And then you've still got a couple of little squares mm-hmm. from villages that were outside the city and were kind of subsumed within it. And then my closest park is uh, Bouchamont, which was made out of an old quarry for the one of the uh, universal exhibition ex, ex one of the universal ex exposition ex, yes expo exposition yeah exposition yeah. <laughs> sure we know yeah. yeah yeah cool well actually you've kind of I'm glad you said this because currently um, we have mentioned just on the New York episode but we are working in-house on a series of city titles of which Paris is one of them which is all about that those kind of those local cultures exactly as you're saying and those sort of hidden gems and those surprising sort of mixes of people and architecture and everything like that and that's what makes a city really exciting right when you've got all these kind of different bits of history and cultures all combined into one wonderful place. Well I was, I was, I was going to ask about um, uh you know, obviously Paris is, as you say, is, is very culturally diverse. There's lots and lots of, um, you know, different uh, people, well, tons of people from around the world kind of intermingling with like that kind of Parisian culture. And has that kind of modified it in terms of you talked about the kind of foodie culture? There must be some incredible, I don't know, like kind of Moroccan restaurants, uh, uh, North African cuisine, Middle Eastern cuisine. Um, yeah, I can imagine kind of having that option plus the amazing kind of traditional French options being really cool. Absolutely. And for me, some of the best restaurants in Paris are are definitely not that kind of very traditional um, French cuisine. Um, Mm. One of the places that I love and I tell everyone to go is um, a little patisserie in the south of the Marais that I used to, for a little bit of time, I helped do some gourmet food tours. And this is one of the stops that we would go to. So it's this little shop in the south of the Marais called Maison Aleph, and it's family run. And the pâtissier is uh, called Miriam, and she was 
born in Syria, grew up in Paris. And so all of their creations is the only word I can use are this like mm. great infusion of kind of Syrian flavors with French patisserie techniques. So you cool. have like these angel hair nests that are stuck together with clarified butter. And then on top, you've got infused cream with cardamom or fig. Or, oh, oh, lovely. Yeah. I'm going to need oh. to go back to Paris. This is, uh, <laughs> we've barely <laughs> well, was- started. This is, <laughs> that was going to be my next question was what you would kind of recommend people who were coming to Paris where they should go what they should do Ellie is that sort of one of one of the places that you'd say if James and I were to kind of say what we're coming where 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 would you recommend definitely there definitely there you have to you have to have some great patisserie um I always do actually recommend that people start in the Marais because I think it's a great way to kind of get a feel for the more traditional parts of the city. And it's really nice from there. You can then start um, wandering down towards the Seine and walk along the riverbanks. And I think mm. there's, there's yes, there's like all of the obvious, you know, you get the views and you have that that real sense of walking through Parisian history. But also it's now one of the best places, one places that's really become a public space for the city. So about 10 mm. years ago, all of the the quay, all of the banks were still being used as, as rat runs. They were still like uh, roads, essentially. And the current okay. mayor, um, Anne Hidalgo, has been doing huge projects in terms of greening the city, trying to reduce the number of cars. So they've now become these great parts of Paris where you can be outdoors they turn into Paris Plage mm. in the summer when they're sort of become fake beaches and you can get a deck chair oh, and play the tank um awesome. so I think that's somewhere that visitors should always go um, cool. and if you do that in the afternoon you then end up uh, just outside the Louvre for sundown and then you can have the kind of sunset reflected off the pyramid which is always a nice, nice. experience so Oh man, yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> well, I think I think you've uh, you've very very quickly convinced us to go to Paris. <laughs> yeah, yeah got the itinerary. When, obviously, sorted. as and when we can, and I guess that's what we're going to talk about next in terms of you know how this year has been. Obviously, the current situation there, and maybe some some, some sort of good news stories as well about how uh, Parisians are making the most of it. So now we're discussing the present and how Paris is recovering from the impact of coronavirus. For context, we're recording this in early November. And as previously mentioned, Paris is currently undergoing a second lockdown. Um, So um, like kind of most of Europe, Paris and France as a whole really have uh, had a bit of a stop start year with coronavirus. Um, How have you found it, Ellie? Um, It's it's been a difficult year. I don't think um, Mm. I don't think we can we can say anything differently. Um, France has France began the year with one of the strictest lockdowns in Europe. We obviously came out mm. of that um, in May into June. And now at the start of November or end of October, we're now back in lockdown. So it has been a real roller coaster here, or it's been a bit of a, a corona coaster, as people are saying now, which I'm not sure I agree with <laughs> as a phrase. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's been, I think... For for myself personally and for all of the businesses and everyone here, it's just been difficult to adapt because everything has been changing so much. So how was life there affected up until this new lockdown? What what has been affected? So we actually had a really positive start to the summer. So after the first lockdown was lifted, 
there were a lot of really great initiatives. So restaurants were allowed to turn all of the parking spaces um, in the streets into mm. outdoor dining. Okay. So nice. in the space of a cool. couple of months, everyone had constructed these kind of year-round terraces. So you could eat outside in lots of space. They started to change some of the laws. So there was due to be a regulation brought in that was going to present, prevent um, outside heaters being used because they because of their environmental impact. Mm. Okay. So that was pushed back. So everyone was sure. just kind of getting settled into mm. this new outdoor dining lifestyle that everyone was thinking was going to continue throughout throughout the winter. Um, we were allowed to travel in France, and obviously. The French are very, very um, committed and passionate about travelling within France as well as as well as overseas. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it was, I think, a bit of a shock to go back into this lockdown. But also, I definitely saw, particularly as kind of a, an expat view, I saw how things changed very quickly over the summer. So we began mm-hmm. by being very respectful, very distanced, and it didn't take long before everyone was getting a bit more crowded, mm. masks were being worn around the chin. Okay. And I think, uh, yes. I'm, I'm just kind of curious. Um, obviously, one uh, one thing that is a bit of a thing that I don't think Brits necessarily understand about uh, when when we go to France <laughs> is is is, is la, la bise. Um, uh, yes. Uh, how how has that been affected this year? <laughs> is it still going on? Is it like an essential part of uh, French culture? <laughs> is an essential part of French culture. So la bise, for those who don't know, is the the kiss on each cheek when Mm. you meet someone. Um, It is absolutely not kissing someone with your lips. It's like a a cheek bump and a cheek bump, Mm. which is very important. Um, I've seen people get it wrong and it's, yes, um, yeah, very important. It's just a a polite bump on each cheek. Um, And it's so, it's so enmeshed within French culture. Mm. So if you meet friends for, for a drink and you were, say, going to meet four friends around a table, you'll turn up and you'll do you'll do ladies. So you'll go around the table and mm. say hi to everyone. For the most part, you don't do it in office settings anymore. Very, very few offices still do it, but mostly it's among friends. Yeah. And obviously that was one of the first things that the government tried to clamp down on and Gosh. to say we can't continue this. And it has it has been reduced for the most part but it hasn't gone it hasn't gone you do still see people you do still see people doing labbies so yeah. i mean it's, I think, it's probably just as natural as like uh, sort of going out to shake someone's hand like or, yeah. or you know giving your family members a hug in a weird way like it's it's all of these things that we almost do from muscle memory i guess yeah it is completely but it goes to show how, as you say, that's entrenched in French culture, that that was made very clear by the government that you shouldn't really be doing this. So that yes. Obviously, it's a very French thing to do. As, as, as a sort of English person in, uh, in Paris, is it kind of a relief to you to not have to do it? <laughs> I love uh, that question. Have, you don't have to answer it. You can, or you can lie, don't worry, it's fine. No, I'm happy to answer it. Um, I actually love La Bise because yeah. it's very clear what's expected of you. Yes. Whereas in in London, I feel like it was one kiss, yes. two kiss, three kiss. A wave, was a, a wave, handshake. a hug, a handshake. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> You're so right. That is true. That's it's a, true. It's a, it's a whole kind of like social conversation of like body language. And like yeah. <laughs> interesting uh so and and you kind of mentioned a little bit about like kind of how uh domestic travel was encouraged in france and um, how have you kind of um uh sort of approached the lockdown have you managed to kind of travel anywhere uh, during the summer or go anywhere in france so yes i did i was very lucky to get to travel a bit this summer 
I started off by going to Corsica pretty much the first day that we were allowed to travel within France. Um, obviously, Corsica is, is, you know, across in the Med, but, but was still permitted. And then from there, went to spend my birthday in the Rhone Valley down in Condrieux um, in August. And then came back from Bordeaux in uh, early September. So trying to see different wine regions of France, which is my ongoing project of my time living here. What a wonderful project. That's that's incredible. Yeah. And then it sounds like you covered quite a lot of ground as well. Yeah. Like for a for a year without much travel. That's uh, that's pretty impressive. It's we I was very lucky. I was very lucky. And the upside of that is that uh, obviously one of the things that I'm particularly trying to do is I think we all are at the moment and I know chimes very much with with the series that you mentioned, Lucy, that you're you guys are bringing out, but is trying to support local as mm. much as possible. So yeah. on the, the day-to-day, that means kind of supporting local businesses, but it also means we've put in um, with some friends some big orders from some of the vineyards that uh, we visited. Great. So yeah. I'm currently quarantining Great. with uh, 12 cases of Bordeaux that I unfortunately can't get to their intended owners, but I will look after very carefully. I'm sure you will. Yeah. That sounds very sensible and a, and a lovely thing to do. So has that, has, you know, how did the sort of people of Paris generally react to lockdown um have they sort of embraced it are they rebelling are they doing that are they continuing to want to support local how has it sort of fared with them um there's a lot of there's a lot of frustration at the moment um Macron is not flavor of the month for sure um there's a lot of frustration with the government and how they've imposed the second lockdown I think okay it's it's very difficult to having had that freedom to see it curtailed so much yes, and yes. the rules here are quite strict so I have to mm. um, I can now do it online but I have to have an attestation I have to have a form every time I leave the house so mm. I'm allowed to exercise within a one kilometer radius otherwise I'm only allowed out to support someone who's in need to go to the supermarket or go to the market um or to buy essentials those are pretty much the only reasons we're allowed to to leave so right it's really tough and everyone is is definitely coming together as a community frustration with the government aside mm. so my local community facebook group is incredibly active right now oh, we're trying nice. to work out um any businesses that are starting to do click and collect or take away there's a huge yeah. amount of support and it's one of the things that I love about the city. It being quite small, you have these real micro neighbourhoods and they're coming into their own so much at the moment with trying to really support the quartier, support everyone from commerce to to individuals to language teachers. Everyone's really trying to support each other. Cool. Amazing. And and, and how, how about the kind of food scene? So I know um, in, in an email we had just before... Uh, before we recorded this, you mentioned about getting uh, champagne and oysters uh, yes. on delivery. Is that still Great. is that still an option? Is that still a absolutely? It is very important to eat well during confinement. So I can currently get oysters delivered to my apartment. I have got a fabulous cheese shop that is 0.9 kilometers away, so I can even run there if I would like to help balance off the cheese. Um, there's also a great roastery that I love called Brûlerie Belleville, who run uh, some cafes that are obviously now closed. So they are doing, um, if you order in the morning, they'll deliver you bags of coffee by the evening. So they're keeping wow. me in caffeine, which is great. 
there's there's a huge huge range of what you can get even uh, some of the really traditional bistros so bistro Poulbert, which is down in the 11 have just started doing blanquette de veau which is one of the most traditional very very old school um french dinners so you can have that delivered to your house as well great and what what, what is blanquette de veau uh, it is a uh it's a veal stew ah mm. i thought it might be. <laughs> Uh, this all sounds great. Yeah. What would the what would the what would the British equivalents be that you'd have delivered? Fish and chips and a pint of ale. Doesn't <laughs> well, have nearly the same glamour. That's like that's a very glamorous quarantine right there. Yeah, we are. Uh, I, I've noticed loads of people talking about whether they can get a takeaway beer in the second lockdown at the minute. Oh, and it, and oyster and champagne sounds a little little bit. Uh, much more sophisticated. Yeah. It sounds lovely. But it does sound like that kind of um, you know what we talked about before about the kind of um, the almost like kind of intrinsic nature of, uh, of of buying and local and respecting local local produce has kind of adapted to lockdown and you know the the amount of deliveries going on and and the kind of you know flexibility that people have added into their sort of daily lives is quite admirable really like uh it must be kind of quite cool to see in a way um have you kind of seen any sort of sort of good news stories or sort of covid heroes over the past couple of months it's really good to see and as you say it's really reflective i think of the resilience that we have here and also that aspect Mm. that i mentioned earlier in terms of the sort of creativity and the the kind of forward thinking aspect to paris as well um, even just this mm. morning, I saw they've just extended another six million euro grant that offers individual businesses up to fifty thousand euros, I think it is, to help them adapt or change their model to um, to okay. to the new kind of health situation or mm. to mm. whatever is going to come after this. So it's been great to see that kind of innovation. Um, one of the big good news stories <laughs> that we've been talking about a lot here in the past week is bookshops. So bookshops were initially ordered to close in the current regulations as a non-essential business. Um, It is still essential to have wine shops. (laughs) It is also still essential to have a horse meat butcher at the local market. Um, Bookshops were deemed not essential, which I think we would all agree uh, is not the good decision. But in response to that, obviously the big supermarkets here have book aisles and sell books. Very, very quickly, the pressure was so high that all of those aisles were completely taped off. Right. So people literally went in with with uh, you know black and black and yellow tape. Oh, wow. Prevented people going down them. So it's been great to see that. And Shakespeare and Co., which is the mm. most famous of all the English language bookshops, they've got this history that goes back to the 1920s. Mm. They issued a call out for support and they've just announced, I think it was yesterday, that they're now back up to the same sales that they had in October 2019. So it's been really, really good to see, particularly for bookshops. And I think that's a trend that's going to continue. There's a couple of um, great sites for buying French language books that are helping us get in touch with our, our different bookshops around the city and support them through online orders as well. Oh, well, you know, you've pitched that at the right audience, Ellie, because James and I, <laughs> and all of the DK team will are just thrilled by that. That's wonderful news. Yeah, that is great news um, and really inspiring as well. I think um, uh, you know, I definitely think attitudes over here in London have ch- have changed and in the UK. But I think uh, you know the movement to, uh, to supporting local and you know thinking yeah. about all the different ways that you can do it as well. I think it's really it's really forced people to 
uh, think about how they experience their own cities and actually hopefully cities they visit in the future as well. Sure. Um, so yeah, I think uh, so. With that, uh, we'll kind of move on to looking at what the future holds for Paris. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. So we're going to look at, um, in this section, uh, what next for Paris. And firstly, I kind of wanted to ask you, Ellie, uh, when travellers sort of start to come back in 2021, fingers crossed, I'm hoping, you know, me and Lucy have been talking about it already and we're going to try and do it. But um, yeah. <laughs> if we can, you convinced us earlier. Um, uh, uh, but what can they expect to be different about their experience? What has kind of, what, are the, what have been the biggest changes in daily life that you think, you know, might actually be quite long lasting? Um, first of all, I look forward to welcoming you guys to Paris, uh, <laughs> showing you around and yeah. taking you out for a great glass of natural wine somewhere. <laughs> when we can travel again, Lucy, it's going to be really expensive. We've promised to go <laughs> I know. So I know. think we can save in this second lockdown, yeah, James. Yeah, yeah, save yeah. for all yeah. our future travels. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Ali, what were you saying? So, um, no, aside from wanting to welcome you guys, welcome you guys to Paris, which should be great fun. Um, I think that actually Paris is going to weather the storm quite well. Obviously, it's quite early to be saying that, and we will still see over the coming months. There is a lot of state support here, which is great, Mm -hmm. perhaps more than in some other cities. And I think that real real aspect of supporting local is going to try, hopefully, keep keep some Mm -hmm. businesses alive. Mm -hmm. Um, I think where we're going to see most impact is the areas that relied much more heavily on tourists. Mm. Mm. Paris is obviously the most visited city in the world. Yes. So the businesses that were around, for instance, Notre Dame, the businesses that are around the Champs-Élysées, where you see a very different kind of tourism to the tourism that we all kind of know and love and the tourism that you work with at DK. So obviously there's a huge number of coach tours and bus tours and there was a network of kind of restaurants and businesses that supported them. So I think that's going to be, that's going to be a big change. That's where we're going to see a big impact, but that's not necessarily for the worst, if that shifts the way in which people experience Paris. Sure. And are there are there any sort of schemes or incentives then to kind of convince travellers to come back to Paris in 2021? Or is it is it still too sort of early to, to kind of to say? I think it's a bit early to say. Mm. I have no doubt that the second the borders open and the restrictions are relaxed, there's going to be a huge raft of incentives. Yeah. I think the two areas that I can really see them coming in 
The first is with hotels because they've had a really tough time during all of this year. Mm. Yeah. And already, so before we had the current full lockdown, we had about 10 days of a curfew. So a lot of hotels were already putting out really great deals. So you could come, you could have your early dinner, then you could move to your room for the 9pm curfew and and make the most of what was allowed. So I think we'll definitely see a return to some exciting hotel offers that'll help you with the budget for your (laughs) your trip when you come back. (laughs) Um, And the other side that I really hope we're going to see a lot of support, and we've definitely seen initiatives in the past through kind of the last five to 10 years in Paris, is for the arts. Mm. And I think that's something that hasn't been in the news as much. So theatre, art galleries, photography, and yeah, Yeah. and concerts. And that's so much part of life here. I mean, even down the road from me, there's still a little bar that does traditional kind of sing-alongs with accordions. And I really want to see that side of Parisian life supported. So I guess I hope that's where we're going to see some support and some initiatives too. Yeah, fingers crossed. And um, sort of, uh, do you have any current, like, sort of future travel plans? Um, Did you have anything you were planning to do uh, just before this current lockdown? I didn't. I was lucky that I had a month where I was planning to be in Paris. So Mm -hmm. I was not part of the enormous exodus that I'm sure you guys saw on TV. Yes. Yeah, this is uh, the the world. Uh, well, it looked like one of the world's biggest ever traffic jams, right? It was indeed. I think it's the largest that France has ever seen. At some point, someone told me it was something approaching three hundred miles of traffic jams coming out wow. of Paris oh, as everyone God. went to their country houses. Oh God, that's, that's insane. <laughs> um, but is that kind of? Uh, did you actually see that first time round in the lockdown as well? Or has that been specifically in this second lockdown? Is people kind of escaping to the country and get going to like second or family homes? And I think it was more pronounced in the second lockdown. And mm. Parisians, many, many Parisians have a second home outside of the city. So traditionally on a kind of Friday afternoon, you drive out to Normandy where you have your country house and then you come back in to live in your tiny Parisian apartment during mm. the week. Which I think is uh, a way of surviving for living in this city for kind of 30 or 40 years in in very small spaces as everyone invests in these country houses that they go out to. Um, So that was particularly pronounced with this second lockdown where also we had a few days for everyone to figure out where they wanted to be. Um, Mm -hmm. So from my side, I'm starting to look at trips for next summer. So I'm hoping to get back to Corsica, which I absolutely loved this summer. Um, so again, I'm in my slow progression to to become more French and more Parisian myself and less of an expat. Corsica is the kind of classic Parisian summer destination. And mm. as a result, the Corsicans, for the most part, hate the Parisians um, <laughs> who arrive en masse in June. But uh, it's it's such a great island. And so I, I'm excited to excited to go back. What what Wonderful. what what is it that keeps you going back to Corsica? Um, I know it's like very green and there's lots of lots to do. There's lots of activities. There's amazing beaches as well, right? Um, but is it kind of is there is there almost a mini transportation of Paris to Corsica that happens during the summer? Is that, um, is that a bad thing to say? I think that I think I think it might be seen as a bad thing to say. Um, <laughs> I went out of season this Sorry year. Sorry to any Corsica. <laughs> 
no, it's a very independent island. Um, it's had this mm. long kind of quite separatist history. So personally, I find it fascinating. And going out of season, you can go to kind of much smaller villages and towns and actually kind of discover a little bit of Corsican culture, which is very different to French culture in many ways. Mm. So from for me, that's the big appeal. And the beaches are obviously absolutely glorious. Oh, lovely. Oh, to be on a beach. Yeah. (laughs) There's not too many. Well, I mean, I've managed to do a couple in the UK this year, but not. not. I'm sure they don't compare. I'm sure Camber Sands doesn't compare to a Corsican beaches. No offence to Camber Sands (laughs) listeners. (laughs) And kind of, um, I I know we've kind of touched on this a bit, but, um, uh, you know, what are your main hopes for Paris after coronavirus? Is there anything, you know, we've talked about kind of, you know, that support, uh, supporting local, supporting the arts as well. Is there anything else that you kind of would like to, you know, see in the future or like lessons you want, uh, you'd like to learn from? I think what I hope most is that people will start to come back again next year. I really love life in Paris so much. It's why I moved here. It's why I've stayed here for three years. And it's mm-hmm. my passion to to share the city with people, to take them to different spots that they might not have found, to to show them this other side to Paris to that you know, that Emily in Paris, that cliche to the Eiffel Tower, to all of these things, there's so much more here. So I really hope that doesn't stop. And one of the things that I've found, particularly having been here for a few years now, is how the city changes through the different seasons. So whenever people Mm. come, there'll be something going on. And that's something that I didn't realise until I lived here. So you go through from winter, and obviously it'll be a bit different this year, and you have the amazing illuminations in the Jardin des Plantes. Then you have, um, for instance, there's the Festival des Merveilleux, which hopefully will be back next year, which is at the Musée des Arts Forains, which is the Museum of Fairground Arts. And they do this incredible, oh. magical winter wonderland that's like half steampunk, cool. half uh, whirling dervishes. Cool. It's absolutely incredible. And then when you wow. come through into the spring, you start to have different things like the Fête de la Musique, when anyone who has an instrument can go out into the street and play it. You have concerts all night, and that oh. still went on this year, despite COVID. Perhaps not <laughs> always for the best, but there's, yeah. there's so many different things that, that punctuate the, the year here that I think whenever people are able to come back, they'll find that they're not just sort of rediscovering the big sites. They'll find that there's this renewed energy, that there's so much going on. There's so much to come back for. So I'm, I'm excited to get there and and get through this next lockdown and hopefully be able to share the city again. That's it. That's it. That's beautiful. Uh, Yeah. yeah, There's a, that's a really nice, like kind of positive outlook on it as well, which I think everyone needs a little bit at the minute in terms of, I think there's, there's lots of looking forward to enjoying these experiences again and making the most of it and and finding new things to do as well. So, um, yeah, thanks so much for that, Ellie. Like, um, yeah, it's, it's wonderful to hear uh, you know, an insider's guide to Paris, and oh, I, and I genuinely—I've only ever been to Paris once. I genuinely want to come back. I mean, you've completely <laughs> sold it. It just sounds your existence out there, Ellie, <laughs> your champagne and oyster existence sounds absolutely glorious. <laughs> sold, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it just sounds wonderful. What, a, what, what an amazing city! And let's hope that you know, as you say, next year's a great year for Definitely. Paris. Definitely, and we'll have to have another episode of the podcast recorded on location in Paris, and you guys can share your exactly. experience. Absolutely. I Live think reporting. We can get that on expenses. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. Um, 
So uh, that's it for from us for today. But um, just a huge thank you to um, to Ellie for painting that wonderful picture of Paris. Um, yeah, you know, you, I think I learned a lot more about Paris than I'd ever known before. But also, you know, uh, seen a kind of positive side to how the city is reacting Absolutely. this year. So um, thank you so much for joining thank you us. so much for having me on. It's been an absolute pleasure to chat. So whether you want to be awed by iconic landmarks, lose yourself in the Louvre, or sample life as a Parisian, your DKI Witness travel guide makes sure you experience all that Paris has to offer. Find DKI Witness Paris in all good bookshops or via the link in our episode description. And once again, a huge, huge thank you to Ellie for joining us today. Join us next time where we'll actually be uh, discussing London. Yes, close to home. Bringing it back home. So (laughs) that'll be very exciting. Uh, And we shall see you then. See you then, guys. Where to Go was produced by the team at DKI Witness and presented by James Atkinson and Lucy Richards. For more information about DKI Witness, follow us on social media at DKI Witness or visit dk.com forward slash eyewitness. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.